Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. I guess this is one of the last lead-in to Christmas, the 13th of December, 2009. And uh, I hope you're all doing just wonderfully. I hope you had a great, great week. I had some uh, very interesting conversations with some very smart uh, and dedicated people. Um, I had a, a chat with the head of the ACE study and uh, acestudy.org if you want to check it out. And uh, I will be releasing that soon. Just trying to fix up some audio things. And uh, I have a conversation with a very interesting filmmaker and a, another professor of uh, psychology next week. So thanks to everybody who's giving me positive feedback on the interviews. I'm still trying to sort of get the swing a bit down, uh, but uh, I think it's going okay. I'm sure that they will continue to improve as time goes forward, but it's it's takes a little bit of getting used to uh, this kind of format. So uh, thank you for your patience as I figure out the best way to do it. And thanks for everybody's kind words about how useful you have found these uh, these conversations to be. I know that I have as well. And um, I, I have an intro, but I don't want to take over or take out anybody's time who has a uh, yearning, burning, if not a downright itching uh, of a topic. So uh, if uh, I'm just going to pause here, and if you wanted to, um, to, to bring up a topic or a question or an issue, I would be more than happy to throw the shows directly into your lap. Just to remind you, uh, you can call. 315-876-9705. Just tell James P. in the chat room that you would like to do that, and he will throw you into the call. And uh, I hope that you will use that if you don't have Skype. If you do have Skype, just whisper him your Skype ID, and he will throw you in as well. So let me pause now in case we want to hear from any new or old friends in the exciting trenches of philosophy. If you have questions or comments, please, with the speaking... Uh, somebody has asked me, have you seen HBO's In Treatment, the psychological drama? Uh, yes, I did watch um, some portions of season one. And um, I did uh, watch, I think, one or two shows of season two. There are so damn many of them. And um, <clears throat> I found it interesting. It was not particularly like uh, like my therapy. Um, so I don't have that much to to judge it by. Um, I think the, the acting is, is fantastic. And I also think that the writing is great. It's uh, based, of course, I'm sure, you know, on an Israeli drama. And, uh, so, uh, I found it interesting. Uh, I did not find it particularly compelling. And I found that, uh, uh, this idea of the opaque, um, uh, therapist to be a little bit passive and uh, I did not find his insights to be that powerful uh, but uh, I guess everyone has their particular tastes uh, I found him to be a little bit too remote and abstract and intellectual I did not find that he got particularly into the meat of things with his patients so I didn't have huge a huge amount of sympathy and I also didn't see a lot of progress um, in uh, in his patients though I must say Blair Underwood as the really scary um, Air Force pilot was was very good so uh, it's uh, it's worth looking at for sure uh, I'm not sure the degree to which it accurately represents therapy as a whole of course what do I know but uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was interesting uh, somebody asked how is Christina she's fantastic and uh, so uh, it's uh, uh, she's great and she sends her regards she's sorry that she can't uh, listen into the Sunday shows but she is. Um, well, <laughs> with the baby who, I mean, Isabella is just doing fantastically. She's been walking for, oh, I don't know, three weeks now. Um, I guess her birthday is coming up very shortly. And, uh, 
So uh, she's incredibly active. Uh, it's, it's just, I mean, she's just a different kid from most of the other kids that we see in a good way, I think. Although it, it is it is nonstop, I'm telling you. Uh, we took her out uh, for dinner last night. And um, uh, there were a number of other kids in the restaurant uh, for age sort of two months to about 16 months to two years. And they're all sort of sitting there fairly nicely. Isabella would not stay in her chair, wanted to walk around the restaurant. Uh, she's amazingly friendly. I mean, we are, I guess, too. But she walked around the restaurant and she waves hello at everybody and says hello to everybody. And uh, it doesn't go to strangers at the moment. Uh, she's a little bit more averse to that, as is to be expected at this age than she used to be. But she is um, very friendly and very positive and definitely wants to go and do a lot of things. And they had this rotating Christmas tree with um, lights. And, of course, she immediately wanted to dismantle and dismember that. So it was all very, uh, <laughs> it was all very exciting. Am I planning on seeing Avatar? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I saw the, um, the preview for it, uh, the, the commercial. And it looks like just a whole bunch of empty-headed CGI. I didn't see a single plot element. I have no idea what the story is about. But I do see that a lot of things blow up. And I also see, saw that I think it was an elf was going to use a bow and arrow against a spaceship. So it looks all kinds of silly. But um, I don't know. I don't have much of a chance to see movies. But, uh, I, you know, I know what you mean. Like, CGI is cool. But CGI can only take you so far. I mean, we all know that the last three Star Wars films, if not the last six Star Wars films, had a lot of CGI. And oh, dear God in heaven, did they ever suck. Yeah, and it just looks pretty, um, uh, it just looks a pretty, uh, uh, it just looks pretty, pretty trashy, pretty eye candy. And uh, I just, I can't really, I can't really get into it. Yeah, the first three Star Wars films are good. Absolutely. I thought they were great. But, oh, man, they just sucked after that. Uh, and by, I mean, I'm just talking, I'm talking like the years that they came out. I guess the first Star Wars films were 77 to 82 or something like that. So, uh, Somebody's asking, which video games do I play? Uh, how'd you talk about it in a random podcast? Um, well, <laughs> not many these days. I used to play uh, Unreal Tournament, and I liked it because you could kind of dip in play for 20 minutes and go to bed. It wasn't a huge time sink. Um, and uh, my wife and I did play Neverwinter Nights, which was fun. Uh, and I did play a little bit of Neverwinter Nights too, but I couldn't really get into it. Uh, I'm currently uh, making three minutes a day progress, or I guess three minutes every other day progress through Dragon Age Origins, which is uh, quite good, uh, interesting and engaging. And good, good, uh, good acting, good characterization, but I don't really have much time, <laughs> much time to play these days. Uh, though I'm sure that will change over time. I just uh, have always really enjoyed uh, video games, and I quite like the strategy of the sort of spells and and stuff and how to defeat enemies and so on. So I'm sort of playing that uh, at the moment on uh, uh, you know in the odd moments that I get. I'm just reading questions. Feel free to speak up. But I'm just reading questions from the chat room. Uh, somebody has said, just a minor curiosity, in your interview with Dr. Mary Ruard. Uh, you stated that you believe socialized medicine will be put in place in the next 10 to 20 years in the U.S. U.S. government is going to run out of money within the next 5, 10 years. I wonder if your views about what will happen have changed. Uh, you don't have a crystal ball. Recent thoughts on this topic. Yeah, look, I mean, just because the U.S. government runs out of money uh, doesn't mean that the entire U.S. system will collapse. I mean, Argentina ran out of money. Uh, Mexico ran out of money uh, in the uh, 90s, I think. Uh, countries run out of money. I mean, if you look at hyperinflation within the uh, within Germany, it wasn't like Germany then became a stateless society, of course, in the 20s after hyperinflation hit. But um, what it will 
uh, involve is a radical reorganization of the uh, uh, of the uh, U.S. economic system. And I've got some sort of notes about what I think will happen, which again is all just random guesswork. Well, hopefully not exactly random, but somewhat random guesswork on my part. So I may put, if people are interested enough, I can put a, some thoughts together on what I think the domino effect will be. But uh, I do, I do think that um, I, I have not seen a policy put forward um, in forever that is to do with um, minimizing or reducing or eliminating government control over a particular area. Like we have a problem, so we need less force. Uh, that is a cultural momentum that is not going to change anytime soon. And uh, the more wedded people are to a particular addiction, the worse things have to get before they'll look at alternatives. So that is a huge challenge in this area. The, I mean, the more people are addicted to the idea that violence will solve social problems, the tougher it's going to be. The worse things are going to have to get before they will change their minds. Um, I mean, if you look at how bad things have to get for an alcoholic or a drug abuser before they change, and those people know that drinking too much and doing drugs is bad, whereas people think that using the government to solve social problems, using force to solve social they, they think it's virtuous. They don't even know that it's wrong yet. They don't even know that it's bad yet. Of course, it's going to take a huge amount of re-education in the form of quite a grisly period of history in order to change, unless, unless... Uh, parenting can be improved in time unless we can get parents to stop using uh, their authority based on size strength and power to um, quote instruct their children um, because if that's what you've been used to from day one literally day one then you won't be able to think of anything else but if you've not been used to that you know enlightened parenting meeting the historically entrenched statism based on bad parenting will be a thrilling match to watch and i hope to be ringside uh, if not umpiring. So we shall see. All right. Let me just... Uh, I'm just going to give a pause in case anybody has any questions or comments. You can, you can put them in the chat window. You can call. You can uh, be added to Skype. Or you can speak up if you're on Skype. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Seize the day, if not the microphone. Well, I can uh, continue with a, uh, yeah, if you want relationship questions, whatever, if this is your show, my friends, whatever is on your mind, I am happy to listen to. Uh, somebody has asked, um, where do you get your information from? Which news sites or newspapers do you read to keep updated? Um, let's see. I mean, in general, uh, I will have uh, a look at, um, uh, because it's on my um, iPod, uh, Huffington Post, a uh, little bit of time. I get a weekly magazine uh, called McLean's, which is a Canadian magazine, which has some good aspects to it. Um, I do get some good ideas from the radio from time to time. Uh, there's no particular show or like news site that I, I visit regularly uh, because I'm topic-based, right? So when I have a particular topic that I want to look up, uh, I will just Google and plow my way through the through the Google stuff. Um, no, I don't look at the Drudge Report. Uh, I don't look at edge.org or antiwar.com, uh, not on a regular basis. Uh, there's no there's no site that I look at on a regular basis. I just, I don't have the time. I mean, I've been meaning to do these little blog articles, but it is really tough to, to carve out the time. What are my views on homeschooling? Well, I, I think it's great. I think it's great if people want to do that and can do that. I think it's wonderful. It's not my first choice. Because I do think that uh, being a teacher, um, I think being a teacher takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of uh, training. And I think it's a pretty skilled thing to do. And I feel relatively comfortable being 
you know, an, an instructor, if you want to put it that way, in the realm of philosophy, because I've spent 25 plus years uh, studying it and talking about it and trying to teach people about it. So I feel relatively experienced in that. Do, do I feel competent to teach a child through to any reasonable level of competence, eight or 10 or more subjects? Uh, no. So I think if people can do it and they have the broad enough knowledge, but uh, it would, I'm not even going to tell you at what grade my daughter would outstrip me in math. Uh, but it would not be uh, it would not be double digits, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, most teachers are terrible. Absolutely, um, I think that uh, uh, I think sending your kid to public school, if there's any conceivable way that you can avoid that uh, sending, I, I mean, I would absolutely rather homeschool my daughter than send her to public school. Um, but uh, I like to think that here, at least, there are, are other options, uh, are private schools that actually have some quite good uh, uh, good ratings and uh, rankings. So. Is it perfect? Are they going to teach my kids stuff that I don't believe in? Well, of course, but um, uh, A, of course, no matter what, I, I mean, unless I lock her up, she's going to be exposed, be exposed to opinions that I disagree with. The, the point is to have her be able to think about those opinions in an intelligent way. I mean, I don't have any problem with people being exposed to opinions that differ or oppose mine because hopefully the ones that are valuable of mine aren't opinions but are reasoned arguments from first principles. So I don't mind that she's going to be told about the government um, because she's going to need to think about that sort of stuff. And it's not like if I keep her home, she's never going to hear about it anyway. It's in the news and the internet and so on, right? So um, she's going to go and she's going to learn stuff that I don't believe is true or, or valid. But uh, the important thing is for her to be able to think about those things in a rational and empirical way. So we shall see. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've said I don't know how she's going to sit down in school for eight hours a day. She's really energetic and constantly on the go. Like it, it's like maybe five minutes a day she will sit sort of put her head on my chest or sort of sit peaceably and play with my finger or something. But the rest of the time uh, she's just go, 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 go. So how, somebody's asked, how will I deal with a situation in which a teacher unfairly punishes Isabella for being too active? Well, I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, these are like, like a lot of things in life. It's like I'll cross that bridge if and when I come to it. I find that um, uh, it is not a particularly good thing for me to try and sort of map out my life ahead like I'm writing a script through to the end of time. Uh, the idea of rehearsing in particular for uh, the contingencies of the future, I think is, you know, the more that I over-rehearse or over-prepare for possible problems in the future, the more I'm saying that I'm not going to be able to deal with them in a real-time way in the moment. And uh, I like to think that I have a fairly good ability to deal with conflicts and problems in a real-time way in the moment. So, if that comes up, I will sort of deal with it at the time in a way that is, you know, appropriate and positive and will either result in improved situation in the school or some other alternative. So, yeah, I'm talking to, uh, I just ordered a film. You might want to check it out. Um, it's called The War on Kids and uh, it is a, a documentary that is uh, about uh, how um, the people who build prisons also build schools and that schools have de de turned a huge amount of their curriculum and sort of environment and rules and so on turn on the prison model. And of course, uh, he's familiar. This guy I saw him interviewed on the Colbert Report. He's uh, familiar with the idea that uh, the, the reality that public schools in North America and indeed in most of Western Europe came out of the Prussian model, which was designed to build dumb, obedient, frightened, insecure factory workers 
and uh, uh, so that it was never really designed to build self-actualized intelligent questioning citizens. And uh, so you might want to uh, check that. Hey, Steph. Hello. Hello. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm a big fan. It's great to finally talk to you. I'm very pleased to hear from you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, what, what, uh, what's on your mind, Mr. C? Um, well, uh, I, was, I just got done with my breakfast tacos, and uh, that's because I was up all night listening to your book, Real-Time Relationships. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I just finished think? it. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was excellent. I'm glad. Um, I, I wish I could. I honestly, I feel really bad that I couldn't just buy it, but I am. I've got like five dollars in my bank account right now. I'm like a poor twenty-one year old who's what? You've got like, no credit to donate? No, I'm kidding. I, oh, don't worry. I, yeah, no, I, seriously. <laughs> I tell you, like just before you continue, uh, and I do hear this a lot. Like people sort of feel, and I, look, I, I I respect and honor the feeling of reciprocity that you have. I really do, and I think it's great. But I got to tell you, the idea that. What's happening here at Free Domain Radio is that we are putting, you know, the power of philosophy into the hands of people who don't have two nickels to rub together, I think is fantastic. Because you wouldn't normally have access to this book or to a whole, you know, realm of philosophical conversations uh, if you had to sort of, if it were 50 cents a podcast or if it was something that you had to buy and order. You simply wouldn't have this stuff. So I'm enormously thrilled that you're getting access to resources that you wouldn't be able to afford. Because, I mean, I think obviously the resources are important and positive. And this is something that the people who donate can really take pride in, I think, um, that, that what we're doing is we're creating resources that would be otherwise unavailable to a huge number of people. Uh, and that's, um, so I'm, I'm really, the, the more people who tell me I can't afford it, but I've utilized it. I mean, in a sense, I don't want that to be everyone because I got to eat, but I'm incredibly pleased <laughs> yeah. because that really is the idea. Right. Well, uh, you know, I, I it was interesting. I, I was on here on the chat room. Uh, I don't think it was yesterday. It was like a day before that. And uh, I met a really nice guy. He showed me kind of how to use the Skype stuff. And uh, I, he actually – I talked with him about some of my uh, family issues. Uh, he was kind enough to listen to me for a few hours actually. And uh, he recommended that I read this book uh, before talking to you. Uh, so I spent like all day yesterday and today just sort of downloading it into my head. You know, and of course it blew Sorry, my did mind. You, did yeah. you read it or did you listen to the uh, audio? I I listened to your reading of it. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I got to tell you, I mean, I I when I first heard your podcast online, I mean, the original reason that I even like heard about you was I was just kind of stumbling through the internet, and uh, you were just sort of like one of like because I was already looking at stuff about Ron Paul and stuff like that, and I guess the stumble button on Firefox, like you were kind of like, Ooh, maybe he'll like this. And so I kept getting like YouTube videos of you and I kept saying, I like this. I like this. And so, and you kept saying, then, doesn't he ever leave that goddamn room? Does he take yeah, a shit right yeah, in front of his computer? Like, what is actually going on? But sorry, go on. Right. And, uh, and, and so I, then I kind of went to your website and I started listening to your stuff and then I really got into what you were saying. You've changed my mind a lot about a whole lot of things. Uh, you know, I used to believe in kind of a little minimal government and stuff, but you've pretty much blown that out of the water for me. I mean, there's no question in my mind now that uh, the whole thing is immoral. So, but uh, I gotta say, I went, what really threw me for a loop was when I got into your stuff about the family, mm. and uh, I, you know, I gotta say, it was it was a an intense emotional experience for me just listening to a few of your podcasts. I mean, my my reaction. Uh, eventually was like 
uh, I, I just got the chills and the sweats, and I just puked my guts out because I realized like how bad that it actually had been. And oh, I'm I just, so sorry. I know, and I just I didn't even uh, I didn't even understand uh, the level, or at least I, I, I had suppressed you know a lot of what of how bad that actually uh, a lot of my experience with my parents was, mm. and. Uh, it's kind of it, it's a strange like what I did like immediate like I pretty much immediately because I'd also listened to your uh, podcast about procrastination and about uh, food procrastination and before even listening to food procrastination I was like I already see where this is going <laughs> you know like I've just got to deal with this now you know I. I, I was, you know, I, I kind of went through that stage of like, well, you know, I don't really want to talk to them about it. It's kind of scary. Like, I don't want to do this. But I was just like, no, there's no way. Like, there's no going back now. Now that I've heard this, mm. uh, I'm just going to have to go talk to them. And so I drove like three hours to where they live. And, uh, you know, I was, in, I was pretty, I was in a pretty intense emotional state. I mean, I called up one of my friends that I knew in the city and... <laughs> You know, I kind of psyched myself up with him, like, about doing it, you know, because I was, like, trying to tell him this theory. And I was like, you know, oh, man, I'm really scared to try this. You know, I'm, I just – but I really think that it's – I mean, it really makes sense, you know, so. And sorry that this is – and the reason you drove is so that you could talk to your, your parents or your family, yes. I guess, about, about yes. your experiences and what you liked and didn't like, right? Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. And uh, I didn't really quite know how to go about it. I mean – I originally – like I eventually – it got to a point where I was – I just – they didn't know I was in the city. Like I just drove up there and I went to my friends and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so I left uh, a message on my mom's phone uh, pretty much describing the way that I felt that I had been treated. I mean I don't remember exactly now. Uh, it was maybe a few months ago that I did this and – I remember saying something like, you, you know, uh, you. I feel like you know our relationship was that equivalent to that of like a master and a slave, and that you know I feel like like you abused me with a lot of your behavior and took out a lot of your own problems on me, and you know, and and then I don't remember what else it was, but eventually it ended up being like I don't ever want to talk to you or the rest of my family again. I'm gone. Don't contact me. Goodbye. Wow. Wow. And um, so you're saying that this uh, – this uh, you initially did this a couple of months ago. Is that right? Yes. Right, right. Okay. And uh, look, I mean I, I don't want to interrupt your flow at all. Um, no, go ahead. Go but, ahead. Um, I do have some questions, but if you want to keep going, I can hold on with my questions. No problem. Um, yeah, no, go ahead. Go. What's your question? Go ahead. All right. So what um, – um, uh, I guess, w what are the issues that you had with uh, with your family? Just, you know, you can go as much as little detail as you want, or you don't have to talk about it at all if you don't like, but, but what, are, what are the issues that you had, the, the complaints that you have? Well, uh, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a weird situation. My, my parents got divorced a long time ago when I was, like, in second grade, I think it was. And uh, it was my mom divorced my dad. And it was somewhere along the line. It, it was because largely for the most of the of the relationship, uh, my dad was kind of the one that was into hanging out with the kids and stuff. And my mom was sort of always the one with the job. Like my dad would kind of be in and out of work and he didn't have a lot of initiative and stuff like that. And so that always bothered her. 
and she eventually uh, divorced him. Now, uh, at the same time, it she is just – I mean she never physically beat me or, my, me, or, me or my sister. I've got a little sister. She never hit us. I never got physical abuse from either of my parents. Uh, but my mom would – if something really set her off, she would go into the most – ridiculous fits of rage you know i'm talking just screaming and just she would just start insulting you or just you know uh i I don't know i don't know how i mean i I don't think you have to explain it it to me i mean sorry i I think i i think i understand you're welcome to keep talking about it but i mean my mom had these fits of rage as well um but uh so i mean i understand but but feel free to keep talking about it yeah so i just I, I kind of, I kind of, it kind of clicked for me. Like that's that was really terrible to do to me as a little kid, and and it kind and like I remember like throughout most of my life, especially like when I became a teenager, uh, our relationship eventually became me sort of like fighting with her, like just yelling back and forth, and like it was even worse with my sister. Now with me, you know, I mean, I was kind of. Uh, and I, mean, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I feel like, you know, I kind of knew better than her a lot of this stuff. You know, I mean, it was like I knew what was going on and she was being crazy. And uh, so I would kind of avoid uh, avoid her when she would get into fits like that sometimes. You know, I'd be like, OK, well, I'm leaving. Goodbye. Uh, but my sister, you know, it would just – I remember just waking up in the morning and there would be some kind of fight going on. You know, it was like every day. It would be like she would be fighting with my little sister just ah, – right. and then it would be vile stuff, you know, just like, oh, I hate you, mom. Ah, you know, just like from the depths of hell or something, you know. Like. Now you're doing the laughing thing, right? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I'm not – it's not a criticism, right? I'm just, I'm just pointing it out that it's not – it's not funny, right? I mean, this no, is tragic. This is a family that's cracking up, right? Yes, it is. It is. And just look, yeah, just just a point, two two points about your sister, right? Because um, uh, your your sister um, may have had. Uh, you, you said she was more susceptible. She, that there may be two things that your sister has as, as susceptibilities that you don't have. One is gender. Right. right. Your, your mom would have been much more of a psychological template for your sister than she would for you, just because of the, you know, random distribution of the naughty bits, right? So, uh, so she, she, you know, female to mom is, is much more intertwined than son to mom. So that's one aspect. And of course, uh, being the youngest uh, sibling as well has particular consequences in, in many ways when it comes to, you know, feeling strong and, and independent and so on. So I just wanted to point those two things out that the, it's, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's just something to think about when you think that maybe she was more susceptible, there might've been good reasons for it that were not personality oh, I, based, if that makes I sense. I definitely think that's true. I definitely think that's true. Uh, you know, and she, my sister also, uh, she's got a temper of her, of her own, you know, she's just, I mean, she really got the worst end of it. Like if you, if you looked at the two of us and you saw just the way we were as far as socially and just anxiously, I mean, I've got a lot of anxiety, but my sister has a lot of, of, uh, of, uh, I don't, I don't know what the word is. Uh, she's just really unsure of herself. Like if you met her, you would kind of know what I mean. Right, right, right. Right. And how often did these, um, these eruptions, uh, how often did they occur? Oh man. I mean, for, for a while at least, 
with my mom and sister, it was definitely like almost, from what I remember, almost every day <laughs> when I was. And in what high about uh, with your with your mom to you? Um, to me, pretty often, but definitely less. Uh, it seems it seems like when we were when we were little children. It did happen pretty like when she was still married to my dad. It would happen a lot, and I'm just it would just happen like every week, every month, every like uh, a couple of oh, times. Man. Week, it, what we got every every at least every month, but maybe every week. It's hard to it's kind of hard to remember. Right, right, okay. And um, uh, so so this was like screechy verbal like blow up and so on, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would just. And how be, long would uh, would these uh, um, episodes uh, last? Um, like, as far as one argument, who knows? Who knows? A long time. My mom is uh, just. She would go. She when she would when she would be turned into that state. When she'd get elevated to that state, she would stay like that for a while. Right. You know, so you had to, the only way to avoid it was like, you just had to kind of like get away from her basically. And sometimes I would try, but then she would like follow me in my, in my room and just, Oh yeah, there's still more I have to say to you. And then she'd start repeating herself. And that, that was one of her favorite things. She would love to like say the same thing over and over about how annoying I had been or something like that. You know? Right. I'm so sorry that when, when she would, I mean, the, the, these explosions they can't last forever so she would come down at some point was there uh, ever a sense that something amiss had occurred that something untoward had happened from her uh, what do you mean i don't, I don't know well i mean sorry that's a that's a convoluted way of saying did she ever say man that was over the top i'm sorry oh um well okay that that brings me to i mean i don't know that that i guess that didn't happen a lot uh, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I, I'm sure it did happen a few times. Uh, it definitely happened if she did it in front of like my grandparents or something because they would call her out on it. And then it would kind of be like that. I mean, my, okay, that, I mean, this, I'm kind of going on, there's all sorts of tangents going on in my mind, but, uh, that kind of goes back to when I left that message for her on the phone. I actually eventually did go back to, uh, my house and talk to her. Sorry, your she, house. Yeah, well, which house? Yeah, her her house. Her house. Uh, okay. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, she she was you know she was just in tears. You know she she was just like wow you know like because she sent me a message saying like I know you're mad at me you know please call me back uh, not knowing I was in the city and. So I went back there and she was just, you know, she was really torn up about it, you know, that I that I had said that, that like, I don't want to see you again. I mean, you're, you know, you won't ever see me again. She was just torn up. And I remember like we went into my old bedroom and uh, she started to kind of talk and then she was like, wait, you know, I, you know, I want to let you talk, you know, tell me what it is that is, is up with you. And so I just kind of laid it out and I was like, you know, you were evil for what you did to me. And uh, I you know, I and then I just sort of was like, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of anxiety that it causes me. You know, I oh, sure. through, throughout a lot of high school, you know, I was pretty like unsure of myself amongst my peers and just just all sorts of just a mess. And 
I she she broke down crying and you know apologized. She said, you know, I'm sorry, you know, that I that I did that stuff. And uh, uh, she said uh, she said I know that you know I used to get really mad and that wasn't good for you guys. And and of course, and then I guess and she also brought up for some reason. Uh, the fact that, like, after my dad had gotten divorced, she would have boyfriends, right? And they would come over, and of course, they would spend the night when I was there. And like, I don't. You say of course, right? But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, it's not. It's not inevitable, right? Okay, yeah, right. It's not inevitable that they. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's uh, with her. It's I guess what I say. I would say of course, but. But sorry, go on. Um. And she, you know, she was just, she apologized for all that stuff. And I didn't know really quite how to take that. I mean, I was kind of... Wait, wait, okay, so let's pause here, because, I mean, this is, I mean, a lot, everything you're saying is significant, but but this in particular uh, is is significant, right? So, so after you said that you didn't want to see her anymore, she called you and uh, was, you know, I'm, I'm compressing a lot, but was tearful and apologetic, is that right? Yes. And how did you feel... How did you feel when she was apologizing and when she was tearful? It was well. It's kind of hard to describe. Uh, I re- first off, I remember like the initial, like after making the phone call. It was like a vacuum, like sucked into my head. It was like sorry. Uh, after making which phone call? Uh, after making the phone call, telling her that I didn't want to see her again. Right. Okay. Because so I, you had talked about your experiences and things had gone badly, and I guess she lost her temper again, and this happened a couple of times or a number of times, and then you didn't want to see her, and then after that, you saying that the emptiness kind of came into your head. Is that right? Well, it it was it was kind of like when I when I made the phone call that like I wasn't going to see my family anymore. It was like uh, it, I just got this – it felt like my head cleared. I don't know how to describe it. It was just like – it was like a big blowout or something. Uh, and then when I went back to talk to her, it all kind of filled back in. You mean a kind of fog or a kind of distraction or – Like uh, like just like, like, like tension. Tension, like, okay, right. Like right. the anxiety came back you know, like sure. by going back and seeing her. Right. Uh, whereas when I when I dismissed them, I kind of got this like temporary high of feeling really freed. Right. It was like. Uh, well, we don't know uh, if it was temporary. We know it was temporary because you went back, but we don't know whether it was yeah. temporary, like temporary, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And I, again, I don't know whether right or wrong to go back doesn't matter. I'm just saying that it may or may not have been temporary in terms of the long run. Right. Yeah. And, and that was, see, that was kind of the weird thing too, is that I guess when she was, when she was crying and kind of feeling bad about it, like I, I kind of like, and this is really tough to say, cause it makes me feel, it makes me feel like a bad person to say this, but I kind of felt cold toward her. Like yeah. I kind of felt, I kind of felt like, you know, you're just crying to for yourself. Like I don't know, like, right. 
and it doesn't feel it doesn't make me feel good to say that about my mom but i kind of was like you know <laughs> right right listen i i get it i mean I, re- I really do get it at least i think i do and and i'll tell you why i think i get it and i think why what you felt makes perfect sense to me and i think it's actually healthy and then you can tell me if i'm you know full of amateur okay. nonsense right if I've done something to harm something, to harm someone, right? There, there are the two R's of apologies. Apologies by themselves mean nothing. In, in the same way that saying I love you means nothing. It's just words, right? The words should be the tiny snowflake on the tip of the iceberg of months or years of consistent actions, where the words I love you or I'm sorry are simply a confirmation of behavior that has already changed. But they don't, they don't change the ship. Then you you got to turn the ship around, and then you can say, I'm heading south. You can't say, I'm heading south, not touch the wheel and expect the ship to turn around. So I'm sorry, and I love you, and I did my best, and all of these things, they're just words. And they should reflect really powerful and deep actions. But most people just want to hang the their hat on the hook of the words alone, right? The, the words are all. So there are two R's that at least come to my mind when I think about apologizing. And the first is restitution, and the second is rehabilitation. Uh huh. Right? So, restitution is how can I make up the deficits that I have caused in you? And, and, and that requires that the person who's harmed you ask you weeks or months or sometimes even years worth of questions about what that harm has done to you so that they can understand what harm they have done to you, so that they can understand how they might act in order to begin to repair that. Right. And so that's the restitution. And the restitution rests on a, a lot of questions, right? So if you say, Mom, you did X, Y, and Z that for, you know, for many, many times during your childhood that left me with enormous problems and deficits and anxieties and issues and so on, then... Somebody who is really concerned with you, first of all, you won't have to push it to the brink in order to get a change in behavior, mm-hmm. right? Because you brought these issues to your mom a number of times, and it just went really badly, right? according to, to what you've said. So mm-hmm. you bringing these issues, it wasn't enough, right? Now, when you pushed an ultimatum onto the relationship, and I know it wasn't an ultimatum like do this or else, right? But it was like, I'm done. Then you get a change in behavior. But that's not because of you. Right. Because you already brought the issues to your mom, right? Right. And she didn't react in a way that was positive. So she's already in a huge deficit when it comes to now that you've threatened to to cut off the relationship, now Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you that I'm sorry. But that's that's already a huge deficit to start from, right? Because it was pain as a child bringing this stuff up wasn't enough. For her to to acknowledge. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and I and I kind of like suspected that too. I was kind of like, yeah, you know, it's it's good for you to say that now, but uh, I don't know. Like you said, it's just like you're only apologizing because you're suddenly because suddenly there's a consequence. I don't know. Like, well, I mean, it's possible. Just, I, I don't know because I don't know your mom or whatever. But it right. it's possible that. She just doesn't like the consequences that will accrue to her if you don't see her. 
Yeah. Right. Like yeah. people saying, well, why isn't your son seeing you? Whatever. Right. Who knows? Right. The, the, the appearance of things sure. suddenly looks bad. Right. Right. Like the preacher who treats his wife badly, but then doesn't want her to divorce him because it will affect his income as the preacher, the minister. Right. It's impossible. Right. right? So. So the question of restitution is really important. Restitution is impossible. Because restitution is a gift that you, you give to someone after you've harmed them. It's a bandage that you, it's a band-aid or a bandage that you put on someone you've wounded. But the wounds aren't visible. And so you have mm -hmm. to ask the person, where does it hurt? Right? You, you, don't, uh, you don't go to a doctor's office, say, I feel unwell. And the doctor says, here's a vat of pills. Grab some and go. Mm -hmm. Right? He's got to ask a whole series of questions. You know, where does it hurt? When did it start? How long has it been going on? Is it persistent? Is it intermittent? Blah, 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 blah. Right? He's got to do x-rays. Yeah. You might have to do urine tests. He's got to do a lot of investigating to find out where the harm is. And the harm that's in your body is much clearer than the harm that's in your mind, right? Yeah, that's So my question is, my friend, how many questions did your mother ask you about how what she had done affected you? Um... I guess I guess not not that many, if any. <laughs> well, no, take take your time, think about because this is we're trying to figure out why you felt cold. And I'm gonna right. I'm gonna think I always side with the victim, and and that doesn't mean that it's always perfect, but that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so my question is, if it was about her concern for your pain, then shouldn't she at least do what an anonymous doctor does, which is ask you some questions about where it hurts, and what the effects of her behavior on you. Where? That's how you know that it's not just about her, because she's actually asking you questions about your experience. Right. Um, I, I. And I'm just I'm just trying to think of this particular conversation, but I I can't remember I can't remember any right. questions. Right. Well, I mean, that's important. Then I would assume that there weren't any. And, and I would assume that, A, because you can't remember, and B, because you felt cold. Cold, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when did this last conversation, just roughly, with your mom occurred, where she was tearful and apologetic? I'm sorry, when when did it occur? Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was in August, I think. Okay, and uh, sorry, since since then, um, mm -hmm. what has your mother done with this information that uh, she did considerable harm to you? By your definition, and I have no reason to doubt it, right? Well, from what, what I from what that? I from what I get, uh, she's just kind of regressed back to where we were before. You know, it was kind of like I mean, I don't know. I guess she kind of assumes like, okay, well, glad that's over with, kind of thing. So has she shown, oh man, has she shown any curiosity about whether it is resolved for you? No. Well, I mean, Jesus, well, man. Well, no, I You think I you guess feel not. like a bad person for feeling cold? Come on. <sighs> Tell me how you're not supposed to feel cold in the face of this. You... You say, I'm leaving. She says, I'm sorry. She doesn't ask you about how it's affected you in the conversation at all since. She's regressed back to her prior behavior. Yeah. Come on. I mean, she just, you yeah, it's like, pretty she clearly, just kind right? of, it's like she just kind of assumes that, like, we can just go back, like, like, I don't know. She, like, I remember. Well, is she like, right? 
I mean, you're saying she's assuming that, but isn't it working? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, you're right. Yeah, for exa- no, exactly. But, okay, okay, okay. No, I agree. Okay, wait, wait. Here, here's another issue I wanted to bring up. No, 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 no. No other issues. Let's stay on this. No, no wait. No, it is. It has to do with this. I swear. I swear. Okay, I swear. okay, okay. Because, okay, I agree. Like, I agree that, like, it's not acceptable. And I don't really want to be around this woman. And I don't really want to have a relationship with this person. Uh, but like I said earlier about how poor I am, for example, like I like right now, right now I'm trying to get going with a new job to where I can get, uh, uh, self-sustained on my own and kind of get my own income. But right now the, I'm in an apartment and the only rent money I get is for my family. So it's like, I, you know, I'm stuck in this really terrible position where like, I feel like I still have to feed off of them. And it makes me, that tears me up. I mean, that makes me feel so like you, I'm kind you, of, you like, feel that you need money, right? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, otherwise, otherwise, what am I going to like, you know, default on my rent and my roommate here and stuff like that? You know, it's like, what? well, no, no, look, look, the issue to me, I mean, I, I the finances, who knows, right? Because that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. the issue is not whether you need money or not. To me, the issue is not whether you stay in contact with your mother or not. You can do whatever the hell you want, right? I'm just some guy, some amateur guy on the internet, right? But, but here's what I do think. Here's what I do think. You need to be clear about why you're doing what you're doing, right? So if, maybe this is true and maybe this is not, right? If you're saying, look, I don't buy the apology. It was self-serving. It was kind of narcissistic to use an amateur phrasing of the word, right? Like it was all about her. It was just a maneuver, right? Like once she got that I was going to leave her, she felt bad about that. And so she apologized and cranked out some tears so that I would stick around. And now everything's back to the way it was. She hasn't shown any curiosity about how things affected, how her behavior affected me. She hasn't followed up the issue uh, that for many years I was terrified of her temper. She hasn't followed it up. She hasn't asked me a single question. So clearly there's no change, right? Clearly it was just a maneuver. Definitely. Right? So so that's fine. Like, so if you say, well, I'm going to stick around because I need the money, but that's fine. To me, I mean, hey, you can do, there's no rules, right? There's no, no God is going to punish you or reward you for good or bad behavior. There are no rules. The only thing that's really important to me, which doesn't mean that it has to be important to you, but the only thing that's really important to me, my friend, is be conscious of the decisions that you're making. Right. Right. See, but I am conscious of that, but I still don't, I still don't, something feels slimy about that, right? Like, you You mean like like, hanging around somebody you don't like to take money? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, you know, and it's my mom and it's like, I know that's just sort of like. (laughs) Look, first of all, you are still fuzzy about it. Because otherwise, you wouldn't have brought it up. Right. Oh, definitely. And you wouldn't say, I feel like a bad person for feeling cold. So, you know, accept, hopefully accept an objective view that you are not clear about it yet. Right. Right. And secondly, let me me ask. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I I know rationally that it's clear to me rationally pretty much but i mean i still feel guilty right like i still like i when i think like i just imagine in my mind like what'll go on uh in the rest of my family and stuff like that it still makes me feel like oh like i don't want to hurt them you know i don't want to do that and i know it's that's not a reason for why that's not a good reason well for let me ask you this how many of your family members knew about your mother's temper you already mentioned your grandparents oh, right? how many okay, of your family okay. members knew about your temper your mom's temper yeah yeah. Okay. Um, that's that's an interesting question. Hold on a sec. Sorry. That that's an interesting that's an interesting question because, 
Okay, my my grandma and grandpa who don't live with us, they my grandma is a psychologist, right? And she's already had she's had a long deep seated relationship with my mom for since before I was around, and my grandma has always kind of been there, uh, like a bug in my ear when I was younger, kind of just telling me like what, like who my mom is, right? So I was kind of being let in at an early age. uh, Sorry, let in. What do you mean? Like she would tell me about like you know, uh, like your mom has a really. She, I mean, she used terms like narcissistic personality disorder and stuff like that. But and sorry, she, this is her mom or your dad's mom? This is okay. This is this is her stepmom. Uh, my grand, my grandpa divorced my biological grandma, you know, way way back, and he remarried a younger wife. And she and she and my mom have have always kind of clashed. Like they've always kind of had like a pretty rough relationship together getting along uh but uh sorry let me just make sure i understand this so your step-grandmother yes on your father's side on my mother's side on your mother's side sorry your step-grandmother on your mother's side is a psychologist who describes your mother as having a narcissistic personality disorder yes to you Yes. yes and how old were you when she told this to you um you, uh, it, it was, I mean, I was probably just roughly, uh, for some reason, the t- 13 pops in my head. I 13. don't know why. 13, 13. I got to tell you, you know, I'm no psychologist. I'm no professional in this field at all, but that seems to me wildly inappropriate. <laughs> I agree. No, seriously. What the I fuck agree. is a 13 year old supposed to do with that information? I agree. I agree. Like I was, she, she, she was really just like, ah, like she was just like afraid so much of what she was seeing as far as like the way my mom was raising me and my sister that she was like trying, she desperately like latched herself onto me and tried to protect me by like letting me in on all this like psychobabble stuff. And like, so I'm having to like process all this shit when I'm a little kid, you know, like, and I'm watching like my mom and I'm like, oh, you know, like I remember like she really did like you know, just, yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I became kind of exposed to how bad my situation was pretty young. And uh, did she confront your mother on this or, or work with your mother yeah, in this she, area at all? She did a lot, but my mom would always fight with her. I mean, she, my mom always hated that she would kind of try and probe her. Right. She always kind of hated dealing with her because she would kind of psychologize her and kind of, yeah, that kind of stuff, and they they still they still fight to this day, you know. Right. Um, so I mean, the psychologist is engaging, right? She's fighting with the narcissist, as she describes her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Again, what do I know? But that doesn't seem to me like particularly the right therapeutic approach to to argue with somebody that you've already defined as being incapable of having a rational discussion. Right. No, I agree with you. Um, uh, that's kind of an issue in my mind too. See, and that's another question I kind of wanted to also get into. I mean, it's because we've, like, for example, we've spent all this time talking about just my mom, but I also kind of have questions about my grandparents. And yeah, you know. look, I, I mean, we may have other callers, so I don't want right, to uh, over right. overdo this. So I'm going to just um, give you a couple of principles. Which, trust me, what we've talked about is enough for you to chew on for quite some time, and hopefully, you can get to talk to a therapist at some point. But uh, um, 
In terms of your compassion for other people, I mean, I respect and applaud that to some degree. I think that it's important to have compassion and it's important to have curiosity. But here's the thing. I don't think that it is wise or prudent, to say the least, to have compassion and sympathy in relationships where it is not reciprocated. Right. That just seems right. to me to be a complete recipe for exploitation. Right. Well, I mean, how much, uh, how much res reciprocity should be expected, right? Because, for example, my dad, I mean, we never got to my dad, but uh, I confronted him when all this stuff went on, too. And I said, you know, I'm mad at you, too, dad, like, even though you were never mean. And my dad was, you know, my dad is just like a really patient, really nice person, but it's like nice to a fault, right? He's like really passive aggressive and just like afraid of But that's kind of, of what I'm talking about. Nice to a fault is providing, like, you yeah. don't show up to work and not get paid and say, hey, no problem. I'm just happen to be here, right? You expect reciprocity. Yeah. You yeah, don't definitely. work for a fucking Big Mac hand over four bucks and they don't give, they just give you a big back package and you say, no, that's good. I don't need reciprocity in this relationship. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Right. So can we, like with the, with the relationships that are flesh and blood, that are family, that are the closest to us, can we at least bring the same standards that we bring to ordering a goddamn big Mac in terms of reciprocity? Can we at least have the standards of reciprocity that we have to anonymous economic interactions? Right, but I, I guess they they probably thought the whole time that they were giving that reciprocity, right? Who knows like, what they thought? It doesn't matter fundamentally what they thought. It's just what I experienced. It matters what they did, mm -hmm. and it matters how you feel. Wondering mm -hmm. what other people thought. See, anyone can say anything about what they thought. What did I think 10 years ago? Well, I thought this, that, and the other, right? That's completely non-empirical. It's like I had a dream mm -hmm. about an elephant last night. It's completely non-empirical. Anyone can make up anything that they want. It's like intentions. Well, I had the best intentions. Who knows? There's right. no way to prove that whatsoever. And that's why people get involved in these debates with family and with others about things like intentions and uh, thoughts that were there that are unprovable many years ago. Forget all of that because it leads nowhere. Because it's so yeah. open to being manipulated and lied about and misinterpreted and reinterpreted. And forget, people can manipulate the unproven, the unprovable, like religion, right? But people mm -hmm. cannot manipulate reality. People can tell you anything that they want you to think about their intentions, but they can't manipulate what they actually did. Right. But that's right. why I, I asked, when I was asking about your mom and other people, I asked about empirical facts, not mm -hmm. what do you think your mom's intentions were? Because who knows? This is, it's immaterial. Because it's unproven, right. so you just go round and round in circles. It's like how mm. many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Does Adam have a belly button because he was made in God's image, but God doesn't have a belly button? It's all just made up nonsense. Right. How far is it from the Shire to Mordor? Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all made up nonsense. You can only really function in relationships by looking at the facts. Because I tell you this, your feelings... Your deepest emotions, they are looking at the facts. They are not looking at the propaganda. They're not looking at the stories. They're not looking at the interpretations. They're not looking at what people are saying. Yeah. Only, your deepest feelings are only looking at what 
people do. Your deepest feelings are fundamentally empirical, and it's in our head that we get all of this propaganda stick round and round and round, and what about empathy for those who showed less empathy for me, and what about your feelings are fundamentally empirical. Definitely. I agree, yeah. And, I mean, again, I don't want to... I know you've got a lot to talk about, and I, I respect and understand that, but you know, there's things that you can do um, that, you know, prior to to um, you know, seeing a therapist, which obviously would be a great idea. Um, mm-hmm. There's things that you can do, right? You can buy workbooks on the family from John Bradshaw, from Nathaniel Brandon, and so on. There are sentence completion exercises. You can keep a journal. You can keep a dream journal and think about what your dreams mean. You can talk to people. But really, really, really trust your feelings. Trust your feelings, your deepest instincts, not as final proof of everything in reality, but Mm-hmm. as the very, very best place to start with. Because if you talk yourself out of your feelings, what are you left with? You're left with stories, propaganda, froth, and nonsense. Right, right. So you yeah. say, I felt cold. RTR, right? Real-time relationships fundamentally is with you, not with other people. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally is with you. So you say, I felt cold. I'm not going to judge that. I'm curious why. Clearly, mm-hmm. I was not moved by this apology. Well, what would have moved me? What do you think would have been different? What was it in the apology and in the month since, since August, you said, that would cause me to feel cold? Did I know at the time that this was just a manipulation, which it seems to be after the fact based on what you've said? Mm-hmm. So be curious about your own feelings. Don't judge, oh, this makes me a bad person. Oh, I should have sympathy for these people. Oh, I shouldn't feel this. Oh, I should feel that. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's, forget that. That's just propagandistic, pushing mm-hmm. pins around a table. It's nothing. It's like uh, pushing uh, uh, tanks around a map and thinking you're actually doing something like fighting a war. You're not. It's just mental manipulation, to use a word that (laughs) is similar to the word I was thinking of, right? So you work with your deepest feelings, be curious with your deepest feelings, in my opinion, and accept them as valid until proven otherwise. Right. Okay. Certainly a lot to boil over. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and you know, if, if you want to take money, you know, uh, I mean, what, what the hell do you care about my opinions? Whatever is useful to you, take and the rest just toss aside. But uh, there's no, I mean, integrity is not a formula, right? You, you, you can't achieve integrity by not taking money from people you don't like until you know why you don't like them. And you accept the integrity is to the feelings, not to the actions. The actions will come out of the integrity that you have to accept your emotions, to explore, to be curious yeah. about yourself, to accept things, that will give you the path to integrity. It's not a formula, like a, a cutout that you, you sort of fold yourself into. It is something that comes from within, from self-acceptance, from self-curiosity, mm-hmm. right? That will give you the go inwards, go deep. That will give you the path to integrity, not, well, it's me taking this money that's a lack of integrity, but then saying, but I feel like a bad person for feeling cold. You understand? That would be the form and appearance of integrity without the content. And without the content, it's just another kind of manipulation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you've been saying. Yay! Uh, <laughs> that, must be, that must be I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, you know, mull it over, of course, right? Uh, but, you know, see, see if you can get to a therapist, but at the very least, do some of the workbook exercises 
Um, because all I can do is give you some philosophical perspectives on, on what's going on. Um, I, you know, I don't do therapy, can't do therapy, but I think it's a really, really important thing for you to get into a better relationship with yourself. And the reason that you don't have a, you know, that kind of relationship with yourself is entirely understandable. And, uh, and I feel a great deal of sympathy for, you know, for why this has occurred and what this has done to you. I mean, I really, I really just want to end up by expressing that. Uh, I think it's terribly wrong. Um, I got to tell you, I mean, I've never even thought of raising my voice at my child. Never thought of it. Can't, mm-hmm. can't imagine why. The children can't do anything wrong. Children can't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, uh, it is uh, very traumatic to have gone through this level of aggression and, uh, and uh, verbal abuse. Uh, it, is, it is really a terrifying thing, and it has very significant impacts on your development. Um, you can go to acestudy.org. I just had a chat with this guy. Ah, oh, mind-blowing. So sad. You know, the, the number of adverse childhood experiences that people report has not diminished over the 20th century. Mm-hmm. From, from a time when we had no electricity to electricity, we still haven't been able to improve parenting that way. So <laughs> right. it's something that I'm obviously very dedicated to because I want the world to be better in the future for my daughter to live in. And that means taking this issue head on for better or for worse. And so yeah. I really do sympathize with what happened. And I can promise you that if you do the work, you will come out stronger and uh, more certain and more at peace and more rooted in yourself, more capable of love, more capable of giving love, more capable of living with a kind of joyful integrity, more capable of spreading light and beauty and truth in the world than you can imagine now. But you have to do the work. Right. All right. So what was the, sorry, what was the thing you wanted me to fill out? Can you give me the link real quick? I'll look it up. The... I can't give you the link, but um, uh, you can look at uh, John Bradshaw is a pretty good guy. He's got books on the family which have, you can get them from the library even if you want to just, you know, do that. Uh, he's got questionnaires that you can fill out there. Just look for John Bradshaw workbooks. Uh, Nathaniel okay. Brandon has some, I think, good workbooks on self-esteem and around self-acceptance and curiosity around one's own feelings and integrity. Uh, and please, I don't, want you, I don't want you to get out of this conversation that I think you're acting without integrity. I think you're acting with incredible, admirable, enormous integrity for even taking on these issues, which very few people do so you know my praise for you can't you know would fill up oh, it's been so. it's been sleepless nights let me tell yeah, you no it's, i it's i hear you. Been a head trip. <laughs> I hear you it is it is a hard thing to hold yourself out of that kind of history <sighs> so uh i really really compliment and applaud you for that and uh, uh you work on those things that's stuff that i did back in the day and i found it to just be enormously helpful uh this was before i went into therapy and if you do this kind of work beforehand you can save a lot of money you know, on, on therapy, just right. do this kind of work right. to prepare beforehand. And then you won't be staring googly eyed at your therapist when she asks you some basic questions, because you'll have that lay of the land already. It's very, very efficient economically. Okay. All right. Well, great. Thanks so much, Steph. You're welcome. And uh, keep us posted if you can. And, you know, massive kudos, massive sympathies, and please accept my very best wishes. All right. Awesome. I hope to talk to you again. All right. Thanks, man. I'll see you. All right. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that was a lengthy call for those who are uh, uh, interested in talking further. So without any further ado, if you are interested in talking further or have a question, um, I would be more than happy to hear. Hey, Steph. Hello. Can, would you be interested in doing a dream interpretation? I am absolutely keen. If, if that's something you want to do, I'm, you know, it's your show, man. <laughs> cool. Cool. This is, uh, Tom, <clears throat> by the way, I sent you an email about it. Uh, yes. Yes. I week. remember. Okay. Um, how would you like to start this? Well, Do just read, read the dream. dream okay. Okay. Uh, here goes. 
uh, <clears throat> it was a beautiful summer night. Uh, the moon was full, so bright one could see as if it was day. My younger brother and I are laying on the ground in our PJs, just off the side of one of the large oak trees in the front in the front yard. We are looking up into the sky, <clears throat> watching the different shapes, the slow moving clouds that that the slow moving clouds are making. I point up at the sky to show my brother a shape I see being formed when a gargoyle reaches down out of the oak tree and grabs my arm and pulls me up into the tree and then flings me past him over his shoulder. I remember flying through the trees, the leaves and the branches, till I hit the ground, landing on my chest. I see my glasses come off my face and land three feet from me. I play as if I'm dead not moving or breathing with my eyes open, hoping the gargoyle will leave me and not kill me. Some time passes, and I feel it's safe now to get up and see what has happened. And I see that the kitchen table has been moved to the side of the front yard, off the side of the farmhouse. There at the table, gargoyles are feasting on my family. They are big, over seven feet tall, I hear them chewing <clears throat> and grunting as they clean their plates. I sneak up, but I know that they know that I am there watching, and they pay no attention to me. All have been eaten. Three brothers, mom, dad. There's only one left, my sister, who is laid out on the table with all the trimmings on a platter with an apple in her mouth. I think she's still alive and just plain dead like I did. I hope she can get away. That's pretty much the dream. Right, right. That's a terrifying dream. Uh, yeah, for an eight-year-old, <laughs> this dream's been with me uh, since then. I'm going to be 42 in January, so and I've remembered this dream vividly. Damn it, one day I will have a caller who's older than me, but... But that day is not today. Anyway, okay. So um, so you had this dream when you were eight, and you're saying that when you say it's been with you, does it mean you've had the dream again? No, I haven't had the dream again. I've just never forgotten it. Right, right. You know, like some, some dreams you have, and you just, you know, they fade away, and you forget you've had them. And this one I've never forgotten. Can you tell me about your family's history and experience with religion? <laughs> Strong, right? Uh, well... Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it went from bad. It went from bad to worse. Right. Uh, we we started out Catholic. Uh, we had actually when I was real young, I remember my dad broke away from the Catholic Church. He had one of his best friends was a Jesuit priest, and he would actually. We used to live in Chicago. He moved. My dad moved us to a farm in Wisconsin, and this Jesuit priest would come to our farmhouse and have mass in our farm room. Huh. And uh, sorry, is the farmhouse the location of your dream? Yes, yes. Right. Right. All right. So, sorry, go on. Um, a lot of bad things happen. Uh, typical, well, I'm not going to say typical, but common brutality. Uh, <clears throat> my father, when I was 11, my mom packed this up without my father knowing and left him at the farm by himself. He had a heart attack previously, and within a month, uh, my father had died. 
Uh, after your mom had left him? Yes. And why did your mom leave him? Uh, (laughs) Because she's a bitch. (laughs) Uh, You people with the laughter. It's not funny. uh, No, you're right. You're right. Um, She's sadistic. Um, Why did she leave him? Because he was vulnerable and weak. And she left him at his weakest point. Uh I, I, that's all I can really, I mean, there's, there's more to it than that. I know this. I mean, Uh, God, this, and how old were you when, uh, when your mother left? And I guess what you said, within a month, your father died. Yeah, I was, uh, just turned 11. Right. Right. Okay. Um, not too long after that, about a year or two after that, our family converted to Bible bang and Baptists. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it just—I know you're familiar with that religion. Yeah, well, somewhat. I'm, it, but uh, I, I get it. it's it's pretty pretty fundamentalist and fairly nutty. Yeah, yeah. Most of my family is still fundamentally Baptist. Uh, I have broken away since age 26, and uh, just within the past, I'd say three years, I became an atheist. Um, deep food for my family, uh, and they know it. I mean, I. They know I'm an atheist, and I, I think it scares the hell out of them because I was probably one of the most uh, heartfelt religious people in the family. And when someone like me can walk away like that, I think it really rocks them all to the core. Well, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, it is often the most religious, the most um, sincerely religious who end up escaping from this delusion, right? The fundamental RTR that religious people need to have is with themselves and with God, because when you RTR with God and with yourself, you recognize that it's the same thing, that God is simply an aspect of yourself and it's not an external thing that, right? So it's it's the people who are the most devoted, the most ardent. It's the people who kind of are out on the fringes, never really ask questions, never really go into what it means to be religious. I mean, I was an incredibly religious kid when I was very, very young. Uh, I right, really right. genuinely believed there was the eye in the sky. I genuinely believed that we, you know, the world swam in the embrace of the deity. I, like, I was really, really religious until about the age of four or five. And I just got that, that I was not talking to anybody but myself, that it wasn't out right. because I would ask God questions that I wouldn't know the answer to. And I never got anything back that I didn't know the answer to. Right. Right. But whenever I had, yeah. I'd ask God a question that I could have the answer to, I would get an answer back and realize that I already knew that. But to ask God a question that I did not have the answer to is the test about whether I'm talking to anybody outside myself. Right. Right. So anyway, I just wanted to point out that it is the people who really accept it as true and who really go into it full tilt boogie who get out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would definitely agree with that. Definitely. The ones that stay in it, I have uh, an older brother who has six boys and a wife, and he's a brutal, sadistic, <laughs> he's a psychopath, he's a maniac. And I see, and he's a deacon in the church and goes to church, you know, three times a week, and, you know, he's out street preaching, and, I mean, he's just full-blown psychotic. I, and it, to him, it's a, I see it as a cover. He uses it as a cover because I think, I know deep down inside, he knows he is a vile individual, just a sick person. 
I, sure. I can't stand the sight of him. Sure. I really I'm can't. so sorry. I'm so sorry for his kids as well. I mean, yikes. Oh, man. All right, but listen, let's let's get to the dream, right? So do you know why I asked you about religion up front? I mean, well, I don't know anything um, about your religious history, but that was my very first guess. Right, well, gargoyles being uh, back with um, architecture and that being a part of uh, the architecture on a lot of old uh, Catholic churches in Europe sure. and here in the States, too. Um, I Okay, go ahead with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the gargoyle was definitely a clue, but um, okay. uh, it was the external presence within your family that is mythological, that is feasting upon your family. That, that was sort of what led me to, to, to religion, and that's why I thought that would be a good, a good place to start. So let's, let's go through the dream in a little more detail, and we'll see if, if you know, <laughs> again, my rank amateur opinions are of any use to you. Cool. Now, the fact that your dream starts off with a beautiful summer night is really, really important, I think. I had a feeling it would be. Yeah. I mean, the, the dream is not, you don't start off in hell with a gargoyle. You start off in a beautiful place. Oh, it was. It was so serene in my dream. It was like crystal clear and just the perfect summer night. Right. Right. You know, I mean, we're, and we're laying out in the grass, uh, looking up into the, into the clouds and the stars. And, uh, yeah, it was just so peaceful and just, I mean so much internal peace at that moment in that dream. Right. And that's, that's you and your brother, but it, it, that's you and the world, right? That's just you and the material world, right? There's no yeah. oh, angels yeah. floating yeah. overhead. There's no, oh. uh, you know, there's no uh, devils in the form of sharks swimming through the, the river. I mean, oh. it is just you <laughs> and the world, and it's very peaceful. Exactly, yes. Right. Now, I think it's very interesting when, because you are talking about the moon and the clouds with your brother, and you're about to point out a shape in a cloud, right? Yeah, it was like, you know how kids will, you know, when you're young, you, you, would, you would notice things. Like, yeah, I see a horse or shape. whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was kind of like that. We were just doing that. <laughs> right. But it's very interesting to me that that's what occurs right before the gargoyle grabs you. Why is that? Well, isn't that, in a sense, the essence of religion? I am projecting a human interpretation on a random natural event. I see a shape in a cloud. I see a horse in a cloud. Oh, wow. Because it's just yeah. a cloud, right? It's not a horse. It's not. And I can still remember the shapes of clouds. I still very, very vividly remember a night on horseback from when I was like five or six years old, right? That, that we look at a cloud, which is just a cloud, and of course, if we were looking at it from the other side, it wouldn't look anything like a horse and a rider. And I, I know you don't say what shape it is, but we look at the world and we see patterns based on our own projection that have nothing to do with the world. It's not like there is a horse at a, a night in the cloud. It's just what we see, right? But we, we project right. that shape, that human interpretation onto completely natural events, right? Right. Oh, definitely. And then... When you, just before you're about to point it out, a gargoyle reaches out of the oak tree. Yeah, that was... Terrifying. Total, yeah, heart sinking, I'm going to die right now. I mean, I just see this gray, muscular, clawed-fingered claw, arm just snatch my arm and jerk me up into the tree. It, right. Uh, that was, yeah. 
I think, again, this is all just my opinions, whatever they're worth. I think that the dream is telling you something important about the susceptibility of children to religion. There's a reason why stupid-ass religious nonsense is always inflicted upon children in general, or if it heads on, if it, if if it's uh, inflicted upon adults, as in conversion from the, you know, in, in Africa in the 18th century, it's with sword and fire, right? Uh, and so, uh, children, they anthropomorphize everything, you know, from my experience. So, you know, they they take everything as personal. They don't have a strong separation of ego and world. Like right. they, they kind of sit within their own ego, and they can't imagine something happening. That is not personal, right? So to take an example, right? A kid uh, will trip over a block and will pick the block up and throw it against the wall, right? Like he's angry at the block. Right. (laughs) Right. And this is common. You see this in daycare all the time. And that's because he's taking it personally. The block tripped him up. The block is bad, must be punished. Right. And so children don't have, I mean, it's nothing deficient about children. It's It's actually quite charming, I think. But they don't have the distinguishing maturity of self and world. Like, I am a human being, but the world is not a human being. And you see this all the time in children's books, right? How many times have you popped open a children's book and you've seen the children looking at the moon and the moon has a face? Right. Because to children, the world is a person. That's why animals can talk. That's why trees can talk, right? Right. That's why uh, there are mermaids. That's why there are horses in the foam of falling waves. The the, the world is alive. They don't have the distinction between their perspective as organic thinking beings and a dead material world out there that's completely the opposite. I mean, they don't. How could they, right? I mean, this is part of a charming phase that's quite lovely in childhood. Right. And so the, the gargoyle strikes when you're just about to name a cloud like it's a person or like it's not just a cloud, right? And that's, I think, speaks to the susceptibility of children based on, you know, poorly developed or sorry, not poorly, but immaturely developed brains, physical brains. I don't have the ego strength to see the difference between the two. And so because you have this, I think, quite charming relationship with, look, that cloud looks like a horse or whatever, um, that is how the gargoyle of religion uh, gets you. Ah. If that makes any sense, and I'm not saying that you yeah. you invited this. This is you know this is how religion uh, uh, is inflicted upon children because children don't have the ego strength and they can't understand. The re- religion is essentially a child's view of the world turned sinister from sadism. But uh, anyway, we don't yeah. have to get into that right now. But no, I just real quick. I I, I remember uh, probably when I was about seven, starting out uh, my second oldest brother, my mom would make him do our catechism at the kitchen table. It was right, the right. So, sorry, I don't want to spend the rest of the day just on the first sentence, so let me just keep going in, right? So, Oh, yeah, uh, go ahead. So, uh, you, you, you ripped through the tree and you, um, you fly through the air, the glasses come off your face, and, and of course, what does that mean? That's a clear metaphor, yeah. right? It's gotta be. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, so what does it mean? I don't mean in terms of the whole dream as a whole, but when your glasses go off your face, what happens to your vision? Well, see, that's the thing. I don't wear glasses anymore. I've never had any kind of surgeries or anything like that. I really didn't need them. Oh, so they you were almost wear glasses like as a kid. on me by my mom. What's that? Sorry, the glasses were forced on you by your mom? 
pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, I had one, I got one bad eye uh, from birth or possibly from my mother's uh, brutal beatings that just, I can't focus with it. But my other eye, I got 20-20 or 20 vision in one eye. I mean, I'm fine. I don't wear glasses. Right. Okay. And I didn't need them then. Uh, so, but I was forced to wear them. You know, right. but in the dream, when I hit the ground, my glasses came off my face and I seen them like bounce on the ground and I'm staring at my glasses laying in the grass. Right. So, okay, that's um, even better, right? So that which is, in, sorry, better and worse, right? But so that which is inflicted upon you by your mother, which is actually neg- negative to your eyesight, to the clarity of your vision could also be a metaphor for religion, right? Sure. Oh, yeah, most most definitely. And I think it's, it's hard for people to, to remember what it's like to be a child and to learn about gods and Jesus dying for you and devils and blood and crucifix and confession and hell and all these sorts of things. It's really hard for people to remember what that's like as a kid. It's fucking terrifying stuff. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it really turns the world into a pretty evil morality play where you're pretty much doomed no matter what you do. It sets you at war against yourself. You never have any privacy. Oh, my God. Right? That battle, oh, that battle I have fought. Oh, it's crazy. For, it's, you know, oh, oh, my God, is. if it's I masturbate, insane. I'm bad. If I have a bad thought, I'm bad. If I think, if I doubt, I'm bad. I mean, you're just constantly at war with yeah. yourself. Yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's brutal. <clears throat> I'm surprised uh, people can live as long as they do. Well, that's just they become uh, afraid of dying, I think, because they feel they lost. <laughs> yeah, right. One ticket going down. All right, yeah, so right. Um, so it's interesting because it's not an angel that takes you for a flight, right? Which would be, uh, I think, I a really think even more terrifying dream because it would mean that you had gone crazy, in my opinion, with religion. Right? <laughs> but you look at this and you say, well, this is – the moment I try to anthropomorphize a cloud, the the hideousness – of religion is revealed to me, revealed. right? That which is inflicted right. upon me, my glasses c- come off and I can actually see better. And I see this uh, ugliness. And you have to play dead. Yeah, I just, at that moment, when I hit the ground and my glasses bounced off, my instinct was, at that very moment, was to just play dead. And do you so, realize that's a that's a terrifying thing because... Because you can't help your brother. No, nobody. Nobody. Right, so the separation between the siblings is really chilling here, right? I mean, obviously in the real world, if there was a little kid and you could do anything, you'd leap up, you'd face the gargoyle and so on. But in this dream, your brother's there for a reason, right? Because you could have easily have been alone, right? But your brother's there for a reason. The dream is saying when this gargoyle, if, if it's religion, I think it is. If the gargoyle, once the gargoyle of religion gets you, you're on your own. You are separate from others. They can't help you, and you can't help them. Because if you were to go and try and help your brother, you'd be going, I'm here to protect you from the gargoyle. If the gargoyle is religion, you're basically trying to protect your brother from religion, which you can't do because it's being inflicted by by the parents. Yeah. And now they're inflicting it on themselves. I mean, we're all so much older now. Um, And I've tried. It's like, I go back. And I mean, I do food for my family, but I went back for a funeral a month ago and I tried talking to my, my younger brother and, uh, yeah, it's, I can't help these people. I can't, I've realized that. You're right. Right. Uh, from their responses, it's just, I can't help them. Right. They're, they're lost. I mean, lost. Right. 
Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's a, I mean, to me, it's a kind of brain damage, right? I mean, religiosity, that that level of superstition and fear and self attack, it's just, it, it, you know, it just craps up your brain in a terrible way. Yeah, I think. Okay, so I, I just I want to make sure we get get through this, right? So I'm sorry to, yeah, to yeah, keep interrupting. Okay, so you 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 then head home, and um, the interesting why don't you why do you think you don't check for your brother in this dream? You mean at that moment where I'm playing dead? No, after you have uh, decided that the gargoyle has gone or it's safe to get up, you don't look to see what happened to your brother. And this is not a criticism. I'm just curious no. why why mm. that wouldn't have. Well, I'm I'm figuring in the dream I landed about 20 feet from where I was originally laying before the gargoyle grabbed me because I went up in the air through the tree and came down in the yard on the other side. Um, I just that's a good question. I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm just, it's it's worth thinking about because I mean yeah. you're a caring guy. You you went to the funeral and you tried talking with your brothers and so you're a you're a caring and affectionate fellow and obviously you care about your younger brother because you're having a really nice time with him. The dream the dream doesn't start with you fighting with your younger brother. Everything in a dream is significant in my opinion. The dream doesn't start with you fighting with your younger brother, but with you guys having a really nice time, a beautiful time, a wonderful time. And of yeah. course, that's what brothers should be doing. <laughs> Families should be doing, but you don't. Yeah. Check for your brother. I just, when I stood up, got up off the ground, and I looked. Uh, that's when I noticed the kitchen table being moved out to the side of the farmhouse, just off the front yard. Right. And I just, as I walked up, I mean, I knew, it's kind of like at that moment, as soon as I seen all the gargoyles at the table eating, I, and my sister on a platter, I knew now, what sorry, happened. Are the gargoyles, you said, you said, uh, feasting on your family, does that mean that they're actually eating the bodies of your family? Well, I don't see their bodies being eaten. I mean, there's things on plates, but I, I don't really focus on exactly what, I mean, I don't see arms and legs and eyeballs and, you know what I mean? It's, it's not like that. They're eating, and I know what they're eating, but I don't really see what they're eating. I just right. have this, this more of a feeling I know what's happening. Right, so it's like they've been ground up into a kind of paste and the gargoyle is eating that and you can't see any particular characteristics, right? Correct. Right, right. Now, your sister, is she alive or dead? Is she Sorry, you think she's still alive, just playing dead? I think she is. I think I have this feeling that she's playing dead, like I did, to survive so that the gargoyles would not kill me. And, yeah, so I'm thinking, you know, she's got this apple in her mouth, she's laid out, but I'm, man, it's just something tells me that she's playing dead so that they don't eat her, but she's on the table. So, you know, as I'm walking around this thing, around this table, you know, my eyes are kind of on her. And and you have no chance to save her, right? Oh, hell no. Uh-huh. I mean, you're a little kid, no. and these gargoyles are seven feet tall, and there's they've just obviously killed your whole family or eaten your whole family, and so you, you there's nothing you can do, right? They're absolutely nothing. I mean, the gargoyles are there. They know I'm there. And they just don't really pay. It's like they don't, they're not concerned with me. I'm now, tell there. me, so this is the fascinating thing about you remembering the stream from the age of eight to the age of 43, right? I mean, that's fascinating to me. It's 35 years ago. Tell me. Yeah. What part of this dream, if the guy calls her religion, what part of this dream did not come true? What part of the dream did not come true? Right. Uh, my sister surviving. Uh, my no, no, because, her... sorry, in the dream, your sister is not eaten. 
This is true. Everyone else is eating. Eat. So, sorry, tell me right. what happened to your sister in re in the real world. Well, I, I tried speaking to her on the phone a couple times, and uh, there were some issues going on that she was dealing with concerning my brother's funeral. She became the executor of the estate, and she was very stressed trying to deal with this. And she called me for advice, and I'm like, "Listen, you already have the answers." No, sorry. Let, let's go a, back a bit. You're, you're talking about last week, and I'm talking about 35 years ago. Oh, uh, and no problem. I'm, I wasn't oh, clear. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, what <laughs> happened with her and the family, with her and religion, with her and integrity, and and all that sort of stuff? Oh, oh no. She's a Bible banging Baptist and hardcore, wearing skirts and going to church. And no, she's uh, full on. Sucked okay, into so she she didn't get away. Oh no, no. Okay. Okay. And in the dream, you don't try and save her because you can't. No, I can't. Right. So what I'm saying is that you don't get eaten in the dream. You survive the attack from the gargoyle, right? See, the gargoyles are fully capable of eating human beings because they're eating your family. But you survive the gargoyles. And in the real world, you survived religion, but your family did not. Yeah. And that's yeah. the fascinating thing, what we know at the age of eight. Wow. Doesn't wow, that blow that your mind? Away. It does. That's just, holy shit. <laughs> like you knew exactly Damn, I, how it was going to play out at the age of eight. Of eight. You know, and, and when I emailed you, I said, you know what, I feel like this still this dream is still playing out. And it's, it's, it's yeah. Wow. I knew. Oh, my cow, at the age of eight. Dan was I a smart little punk. <laughs> hey, you know, if we could all be as intelligent as we were at eight, I'm still looking to be as smart as my daughter is at 11 months. So, so if oh, we could I all know. just I... be as intelligent and perceptive as we were at eight, this world would be a much better place. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's mind-blowing. Right. You know, I... Because yeah. it's in the dream. You, you, uh, you, is your sister younger? She's uh, about three, four years older than me. Older than you. So in in the dream, um, there your sister will be eaten. Yeah. Right. She's so like I, you you could have been picking up. So so yeah. So in the dream, your sister will be eaten, and of course, in real life, as you say, she was not able to escape the superstitions of religious indoctrination. And uh, so, yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I think it's a beautiful dream. I think it's a terrible, terrifying dream. But I think it's I think it's a very accurate dream. Yeah, it is. I think it's very, because it, it's not a very long dream. Uh, it's quick, hardcore, and to the point. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, the, the incredible thing, and I'm so grateful that you brought this dream up, the incredible thing is that it had a prognostication that has incredible resonance and accuracy 35 years after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Because Amazing. you're not on the plate. You escaped. There, there would be no reason why the dream would not have had the guy girl in the tree eating you. Yeah. Right, he just tossed me aside. It was like I was more like I was in the way or... Uh, it was kind of like a, like a wake-up call. Or I, why he even bothered to grab me? Oh yes, and, yes. Sorry to interrupt, but th this is, you know why? You know why you got away? Because 
because you love the world. I do. And the dream says that very clearly. It starts out with you loving the beauty of the world. Yeah. Wow. And the interesting thing, and again, you could do this all day, so I don't want to go too far into it, but the moon is reflected light. Reflected light is a synonym for wisdom, right? It's a reflection that brings light. And you said it's as light wow. as day because of the reflection of the moon. It's reflection and self-knowledge that brings freedom from error and illusion. So again, every everything in the dream, you, you could write books about this dream, I think, and still have more to work with. Everything about the dream, it seems to me, is very, very precise. The moon is a symbol of wisdom in a way that... Um, the sun is not, right? The sun is a, is a symbol of sort of fertility and, and so on. But the moon is a symbol of wisdom because it's peaceful. It's nighttime where if people are awake at night, they're reflecting. And, and it's a really, uh, uh, I think it's your love of the world that um, uh, that uh, was the savior. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's awesome. I, wow, you did an excellent job. Well, thanks. And I'm, I'm really, really glad that it's an incredible example. Of, of how much we know. That's why, you know, when people say to me about their families in particular, I don't know. And it's like, come on, you knew at eight, you knew at five, right? Right. Yeah. Man, I, I, I remember, I knew I hated my mom because of the way she treated me when I was probably three years old. Oh, I have no doubt of that. I mean, if, if you were treated uh, badly, a three-year-old would know better than your 30 or 40-year-old. Yeah. I mean, a, I had a dream, uh, the very first dream that I remember having, probably at the age of two and a half or so, was getting lost in a scary wood and deciding to dig and discovering an enormous and glittering and beautiful cave of treasure, of, of, of raw treasure, like not finished treasure, like rings, but gold. And uh, I think there were diamonds, but in particular gold. And expending a lot of energy, you know, building a ladder and expending a lot of energy, bringing the gold to the forest where it was illuminated like a disco ball it illuminated the forest and what is that wow. but a premonition of fdr i mean it's you know we know what we're capable of so very early on that uh, it is uh, there's nothing we don't know i think fundamentally about our relationships that's amazing well listen i'll, I'll let you mull it over and I, I really do appreciate your persistence in bringing the dream up and i'm very glad that you um you called uh, you called in to talk oh. because I think it it proves a lot. Uh, I I appreciate you taking the time to to do this for me. I really and do. thanks. If you do come up with anything else, uh, feel free to post it on the board because I've certainly the comments we've been getting is that it's a really fascinating dream uh, that you had, and I I think it's a, a wonderful thing to bring up. Awesome. Yeah, I I do have a couple more, so All right. I will definitely post them. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, thanks so Jeff. Much. All right, man. Take care and congratulations on getting out. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, man. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Uh, also, interesting to hear the difference in the fellow's tone before and after, right? I mean, the warmth and curiosity and intimacy really goes up when we talk about, I think, these very important and fundamental issues. So, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I do believe that we have time for one brief, dare we say, questionlet. Uh, oh, I also wanted to mention for anybody who's coming up for Christmas. Oh, it's a white Christmas, my friends, and it really is quite glittery and beautiful up here. And oh, so darn festive. It will make you weep. Weep crystal tears of ice. But there it is. All right. So, uh, sprechen Sie up if you have comment or question. 
yeah, if you just while we're waiting, if you do have early dreams, um, just uh, write them down and really, really think about them. Talk about them with others. Um, you know, call in here. I, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of of dreams as uh, ways of of uh, uh, unlocking uh, metaphorical wisdom from particularly early in life. But if you have dreams that you had when you were, you were a kid that you can remember, there's a reason you can remember them, and I really, really uh, recommend that you. Uh, uh, write them down, think about them, what was going on in your life, what has played out since that might be uh, related. Ah, so the question, uh, I'll just read some some bits of it. Oh, my question, my, my stance on civil disobedience, that's your, uh, that's your question? Um, yep. All right, well, I will, uh, I will tell you my, uh, my stance on it uh, for, for what it's worth. Um, uh, I certainly would never use force to prevent anybody from you deploying civil disobedience or using it as a strategy if they felt that that was something they wanted to do. Um, I'm not going to do it, and uh, that may be right or wrong. I'll tell you why, and uh, you'll see. You can see if it makes uh, if it makes any sense. Um, what is the what is the opposite of coercion? Right. I mean, that fundamentally is the philosophical question of the ages, and one that we I'm particularly focused on here. What is the opposite? of uh, uh, violence. And I don't believe that the opposite of violence is civil disobedience because that actually will increase the amount of violence in the world, the amount of explicit violence, though I understand the implicit violence. And explicit violence is not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world to bring it to people's attention, right? People who aren't uh, able to see it unless it's shown to them. But um, I don't believe that the opposite of violence is self-sacrifice. I don't believe that the opposite of violence is provocation of aggressors. Uh, I believe that the opposite of violence is, uh, is knowledge. The opposite of violence is wisdom in, in an abstract sense. And in a practical sense, the opposite of violence is tangible, actionable compassion, particularly towards uh, children and the young in, 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 in essence. But the opposite of violence is, uh, is wisdom. Now, my question, or my issue around civil disobedience is this. I don't think it moves freedom forward. I think that it moves freedom backwards, and I'll tell you why. Let's say it's not paying your taxes, the Browns, right? Well, people fall into two categories. They either understand why the Browns did what they did, not pay their taxes, in which case, the example is sort of pointless. So there are people who understand and accept that taxation is violence. And they will look at the Browns as an example of that and saying, well, aha, they're just proving what I already know. So it does not spread knowledge or wisdom to perform acts of civil disobedience. It's like going and smoking pot in front of the, the, um, the courthouse steps, right? So you get arrested. Well, the people who understand what you're doing are not learning anything new because you're only confirming what they already know that smoking pot is a nonviolent action that is responded to with the initiation of force by the state and blah, blah, blah. So you're not spreading any new knowledge among people uh, who, who already know. But people who don't know, I don't think that you spread any new knowledge about them either. And that's actually quite um, verifiable, right? All, all you have to do is, without prejudicing people, talk to people strangers anywhere, talk to them on the bus, on the streets, uh, on a plane, wherever you are, 
talk to them and say, did you hear about the Browns? Or whatever, right? Whatever is going on with their civil disobedience. And uh, what do you think? And they say, I don't know. It was some weird thing about, like, they didn't pay their taxes, so they got arrested. Like, they won't have learned anything new through witnessing or hearing about civil disobedience. But, you know, it comes through the filter of the media, and the media is always going to portray these people as slow nut jobs who are just making a pointless stand for some irrational reason. And the filtering is going to be so extensive that it's not going to uh, change anyone's mind, right? So... I think, I mean, obviously there are significant negative consequences to civil disobedience. You get arrested. Uh, you have to, may have to pay legal fees. You may get a, you know, it may go on your permanent record, which particularly in the U.S. can be uh, significantly problematic in terms of getting jobs and having a career and so on and other kinds of things. So I think it's, I mean, there's clearly a very high cost to it. And I don't think that it spreads knowledge. I think that the only way that you can spread knowledge about voluntarism and, and pacifism and so on is through uh, sometimes impassioned and persistent and rational arguments. I think that is the only way that you're going to, uh, to spread wisdom, not through the example of getting arrested, which, as I said, is only going to confirm the beliefs of those in the know and alienate the perspectives of those who don't understand because getting arrested is not an argument, right? That the Browns hold up in their house with FBI helicopters floating over their heads is not an argument. It's not an argument. It's simply an example. And if people had the capacity to extrapolate arguments from examples, we wouldn't be in this mess to begin with. So that would be my particular perspective uh, on that. Um, so it's not how I choose to uh, spread wisdom in the world as best I can. Um, I'm not going to say that what I'm saying is any kind of definitive or clincher, but this is my my perspective on on why I don't and why I focus on you know <laughs> crazy things like dreams about gargoyles rather than smoking pot on the, the courthouse steps and uh, spending step. the night in jail. Yep. Yes, sir. Um, the, the other the other thing, and um, thank you, was basically I've been really tempted nowadays because it seems like the libertarian candidate here in Costa Rica is actually getting a lot of points. And I know usually I don't waste my time, but you know we're bombarded with the media, and and some of that leaks to me. And uh, and you know I've been wondering because you know I know that yourself, you know that uh, I know that I don't believe in majority rule for one thing. I don't think that that defines ethics. But do you see the historical change of the fall of state towards anarchy not happening until a majority of people within an enclosed geographical region uh, basically become aware of these ideas? And, the, and would, would libertarians increasingly getting voted in would be a progression into it? Because it's really had me torn the last couple of weeks, you know, the, the whole Ron Paul sort of revolution type thing only here within my geographical area. That's my other question. Thank you. And sure. No, that's a great question. No, you don't need a majority of people for sure. You don't need a majority of people to change the world at all. Uh, otherwise, the world would never change. The majority of people are busy with their lives, not with philosophy. And uh, so they, then they're inert and uh, intellectually uncurious. And so you, if you needed a majority, the world would never change. Um, so the question is, how do you best leverage a minority of people? Well, you best leverage a minority of people by having reality on your side. Right. Uh, the human mind, as we can see, 
on the in the progress of knowledge from science versus religion or the free market versus statism the human mind when coupled with reality which is through philosophy through science through reasonable principles rational principles and empiricism the human mind when hooked up to the massive engine of reality is unconquerable and can do unbelievably astounding things like go to the moon and back right to use the latest example right but we can do absolutely astounding things but we need to be aligned with reality when human beings are aligned with reality you don't need a majority because you have reality on your side so if you have consistent logical rational empirical principles that you fight for happily excitedly positively enthusiastically and sometimes angrily because anger is i think very healthy when you're fighting for virtue truth and peace and freedom then you are unconquerable because you have reality on your side you align yourself with reality and you will win it will take time but you will win now unfortunately libertarianism does not align itself with reality because it says violence is good and violence is bad right the initiation of force is good oh wait no the initiation of force is bad the initiation of force up to 5% or 10% of GDP is really virtuous. But once you get to 11%, dear God, the initiation of force becomes an immorality that can scarcely be countenanced by any moral human being. So that's not really aligning yourself with consistency and with reality. In the long run, in the long run, and it can be considerably long run, but we're moving it forward as best we can. In the long run, the most consistent argument wins. Consistent with itself, consistent with reason, consistent with the evidence. There is nothing that a small band of determined realists cannot achieve in this world. There is nothing, as the old quote says, that a small band of dedicated people cannot achieve in this world. Indeed, it is the only group that ever has achieved anything in this world. And so, this is, I mean, to me, political action is... A false flag conflict, so to speak. Either the initiation of force is good, or the initiation of force is bad. It's as simple as that. And of course, there's a huge amount of coin and nonsense and donations, political donations, in pretending that it's not as simple as that. Ah, it's more complicated than that. Some force is good, some force is bad. Some initiation of violence is good as long as it diminishes under the initiations of violence elsewhere. But that's just a stupid fucking quagmire that no sane human being ever escapes. It is religiosity. Right? Religion is faith is good, superstition is bad. Right? Well, libertarianism is government is good, government is bad. So, I'm going to put my lot, my light, my energy behind the most consistent and rational arguments that I can muster and coordinate, communicate, and have conversations with others about. Because then I'm with reality. I'm on the side of reality. That's where I want to be because that's the only place where change is going to come from that is going to be lasting, valuable, permanent, moral, honest, and have integrity. Human beings aligned with reality are unstoppable. Human beings in opposition to reality fragment like an old canoe before a super tanker in time. Though it's very illusory and very seductive to take that approach. Uh, it, simply, uh, it simply doesn't work. <laughs> I was uh, sent a video by someone the other day, and I can't even remember who it was, right? 
but it's some, I don't know, some turnip head in the States is starting a libertarian campaign and this and that and the other, right? And he's been running it for uh, a couple of months, right? <laughs> Guys raised $1.8 million. $1.8 million. Can you imagine with my speaking abilities and uh, language skills and uh, so on, debating skills, can you imagine if I had taken the political route, just how much money I would be sitting on right now? It is a <laughs> staggering thing to do, uh, to think about how much money there is. $1.8 million. $1.8 million in a couple of months. That's a little more than I raised <laughs> in donations, but it is a... Um, uh, it is a staggering temptation for people to say, well, that's $1.8 million. We can get a hell of a lot more done than voluntary donations to a podcast somewhere in Canada, right? That's, that's a lot of money. We can advertise. We can, yes, but what are you advertising? What are you communicating? You're communicating some violence is good, but too much violence is bad. Some rape is good. More rape is bad. Some theft is good. More rape, more theft is bad. Well, You've just conceded the whole point. You've just conceded the whole goddamn principle. Oh, listen, when I was, somebody just said, I've never thought of me as a politician. Holy crap. I used to, uh, uh, man, I used to write speeches. I literally used to write speeches that I was going to make as a politician when I was in my 20s. I had entire platforms and programs worked out and how I was going to argue it. I'm not saying that I was on the verge, but I definitely was thinking of it because I knew I had great speaking abilities and uh, good abilities to convince and great passion and so on, right? So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of coin in politics that there isn't in straight-up philosophy. But, you know, <laughs> I can eat and I got a roof over my head and I'm doing the right thing and I'm doing the necessary thing. And I'm doing the essential thing. And it is the only thing that will help and change, in my opinion, in the long run. So the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I would not want to go in the wrong direction at a faster pace. I would not want to buy $1.8 million worth of plane tickets, to plane tickets to destinations I don't even want to go to. I will plot along on my handouts in the right direction with your help. Anyway, uh, thank you so much. If you do get a chance, uh, now that we're in the end of the show, uh, an FDR Christmas gift would be most appreciated if you have a few extra shekels hanging around your pockets, clanging against your short and curlies. I would really appreciate it if you would brush off the short and curlies and send them to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate.html. I would really appreciate that. And uh, thank you, everybody, so much for your continued enthusiasm, support, and participation in this most amazing conversation I think the world has ever seen. And I'm thrilled, honored, and truly blessed in the secular sense to be a part of this conversation with you absolutely amazing people. So thank you so much for your trust. Thank you so much for your honesty, your curiosity, your strength, and most magnificently, your courage and integrity in pursuing the truth in your own life and with those around you. Thank you.